Howdy, and welcome to the BP Movie Journal thing, where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these BP Movie Journal things. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And let's jump right into it. Indeed, we got places to be. Well, yes. right here. Yes, we have to be right here, but we have to be not doing this. Indeed. Uh, very, very soon. We have to be I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so... Um, you have more than I do, so you should start off. Yes, only one more. But uh, I watched, got together with some friends to celebrate the... Uh, the season mm-hmm. uh, and watched a movie I'd never seen before. Uh, the original Fright Night. Oh, okay. Starring I, Chris Sarandon. Yes. Directed by Tom Holland, who also directed Chris Sarandon in Child's Play. That's right. Uh, and also starring Amanda Bierce, okay. you know, as Marcy from Married with Children. Oh, yes, yes. And of course, the great Roddy McDowell. Yes. Um, have you seen, you haven't seen it? I have not seen it. It's, uh, it's really, really good. It takes a while is a part of it. Like it's, it's like an hour and 45 minute movie that could easily be a 90 minute movie. If you tightened yeah. up the first couple acts, it, it takes a while. It's a lot but, of time spent on like, is this guy a vampire? Is he not a vampire? And after a while it's like, uh, no, well, clearly we're watching a movie. So no, he yeah, is. No, he's a vampire almost immediately. Okay. You see his fangs like the second time you see. Okay. Him. Um, uh, there's just some sequences that don't need to be in there or that go on a little too long. Um, but once you get to the third act, mm-hmm. the, the night in question, the fright night in question, oh, okay. when they're actually taking on the vampire and his, uh, he's got a couple of minions, I okay. guess by that point, uh, it's killer. It's really? so okay. cool. It's such a great, like fun third act that keeps ratcheting up the, the, the stakes and the, uh, I mean, I, feel, I know I, this is something that movie fans, horror fans especially which movie fans in general say all the time but the practical effects are so impressive in this movie yeah there's a part where uh uh there's a vampire in this movie who can turn into a wolf okay there's a part where he gets staked as a wolf Mm -hmm. and then is dying as he's transforming back into human form and it's like gross but it's also like sad and it's really impressive like the effects are really impressive it's it's like a beautiful disturbing thing huh uh and then there's like people did you know and did you notice uh like who did the effects was it you know kind of the standard 80s people like i don't don't remember i don't remember um but uh, yeah, I, I'm sure there are horror fans listening who are like, yeah, get over it. We've known this movie's great for 30 years. But uh, it's definitely worth seeing. Again, it could it could tighten up a little bit in that, yeah. in that first hour. Um, but uh, yeah, really glad I watched it. Are you at all interested in watching the remake? Which I, am. I Which I also heard was pretty good. Yeah, I heard that was good. And the cast, when I hear the cast, yeah. um, uh, Colin Farrell in the Chris Sarandon role. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who plays the main role. Is it Anton, Yel- oh, Anton Yelchin? Yelchin. Yeah. And then David Tennant, apparently in the Roddy McDowell role. Oh, that's which is fun. A great. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I'm very interested in seeing the remake. Okay. Now. Um, all right. So I, my first one is a, is a rewatch, uh, because tomorrow night I'm, I think I mentioned this on the show before at Azusa Pacific university tomorrow night. I'm, leading or moderating a panel discussing whiplash. So I rewatched whiplash whiplash. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it ends with an H. Uh, and so, um, so I rewatched whiplash, uh, for the first time, uh, since the theater and that movie's pretty great. And it's not perfect. Like it, it, I feel like that movie is a really good argument 
about for uh, a movie not needing to be perfect for it to be amazing. Like there are major script things, uh, script issues with that movie. Um, as far as the way certain characters are written, the way certain uh, story beats play out, like that whole car accident thing, um, doesn't uh, seem right to me. I remember us. Wait, what doesn't seem right about the car accident? Uh, it just seems like the writer decided, okay, how do I ratchet up the stakes? Oh, I know what I'll do. Rather than have him merely misplace his uh, drumsticks and he goes back and gets them and then he, uh, you know, uh, he's too late and so Fletcher doesn't put him on and he gets angry. Like all of that with in character and believable, but there has to be a car accident as well. And he's still covered in blood, runs out onto that stage and insists on doing that. Like, it's all just thing. I believe that. Oh, it seems so I believe it over the top. I think me. you and I had this disagreement. Yeah. Um, at the time where I feel like any problems with the movie come from miles Teller's performance. And you know what? In rewatching it, I saw some of what you're talking about too, where he's kind of apologizing for the character in a way <laughs> or like asking you to like him. Even when the, to me, the screenplay is clearly saying this, like we're supposed to be seeing the bad side of him here. The scene where he breaks up with her and she spells it out for him. Like, yeah. so you're saying blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Supergirl. And it, what was that? Supergirl. He breaks up with Supergirl. Really? I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, that scene where, and she spells out like all of the, spelling the situation out in like the worst way possible. And then he says something like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, exactly. But he says it in a way that's meant to be kind of boyish and charming. It's supposed, it should seem, and I don't mean to, you know, say this like, like the actor should condemn the character. Um, but he does seem to be distancing himself a little bit because in that moment, the character should seem cold right. and, calculating and oblivious to what her feelings are or he's aware of them but doesn't care right now and instead it seems like cutesy and it seems like a and it comes off like a laugh line but not the kind of laugh not a laugh of uh, incredulity which is what it should be if it's going to be a laugh line at all but more of a laugh line like yeah she just doesn't get it does she miles teller <laughs> um so yeah i definitely see what you mean uh about his performance but uh the it, the movie won three Oscars, and I think it deserved every single one of them. One editing, and it's pretty amazingly edited, and that sound mixing is pretty solid too. So, I'm excited to talk about it tomorrow. With I'm a bit out of my depth. Uh, the panel consists of two film professors and a music professor. That last one excites me a lot uh, to talk about the film with someone who you know I have to assume models their teacher sure, sure. style on <laughs> jk simmons but anyway so i was happy i re- was really happy to rewatch the movie i think i like it more now than when i first saw it even though i still find fault with it now uh next up for me uh i saw a movie that we talked about on this uh on the movie journal recently and we talked about at length on comedy film nerds that's right yes this yes. week uh it's called steve jobs it's directed by danny boyle it's very very good mm-hmm. it's not perfect and I think there are some things that uh, there are there are some things that Aaron Sorkin I feel like forces. Um, I mean, there are some really obvious things. Like he has a character wearing a Walkman, not only a decade after right. the person would, but also in a situation where it doesn't make any sense for this character to be wearing a Walkman, right. just so that there can be a a to- what is admittedly a touching moment. Mm-hmm. 
about like the, about a Walkman, but it's it's like so clearly uh, staged and set up that way. Uh, it doesn't make sense for someone who has just gotten out of a car to say something and getting back into a car. Like the, it's great that it's like the late nineties and this person still listens to like tapes and stuff, but is a now tape deck. I, now I had, it doesn't make sense. Like the size of the Walkman also gives you, you can't sit in that thing. Right. She's going to like, why would she take it off or put it on getting out of the car? Like, yeah. it's, it doesn't make sense of her to be wearing the Walkman. I feel like I'm dwelling on this Walkman thing. It's, but it, yeah, it kind of is indicative of the things that occasionally take me out of the movie. There's a, there's a couple of things, um, that, uh, feel like, there's a, there's also a bit um, that takes place in the orchestra pit at a theater mm-hmm. that entirely it takes place in the orchestra pit entirely f- so that the scene can end on this great button line mm-hmm. um, and I I didn't love that either and there's so there's there's a few things like that that I that are all down to Aaron Sorkin um, that that keep it from being uh, and, and a, a great a movie for me. But other than that, I think it's fantastically well acted. It's, um, a delight to hear actors of this caliber saying, uh, words of that caliber. I know I just talked shit about Aaron Sorkin, but that's more about Those um, are like, choices he makes in construction, not yeah. in actual dialogue. The dialogue I think is fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's my favorite movie of the year, so I don't want to, you know, but I, I don't think it's perfect either. I think that every once in a while, I think he's a little bit too quippy, which is what you'll get with uh, Aaron Sorkin. But somehow the quips in Social Network, for example, mm-hmm. they don't seem like quips. Like there's just, and I think that speaks to the way uh, uh, David Fincher directs a movie as opposed to Danny Boyle. David Fincher is somebody who will ground uh, the the type of you know sort of prosaic over the top dialogue of Aaron Sorkin, he grounds it in reality and kind of takes the wind out of the punchlines. They, they remain punchlines. Yeah. But I would disagree that he grounds it in reality. I don't think of David Fincher as being a realist. Uh, like may, like a, he's not a, maybe not reality, not Victoria but Victoria De Sica. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. No, not, not necessarily reality, but he certainly like, if there's going to be something even vaguely whimsical, either in what happens or what somebody says, he will take the air out of it as a way of like not hitting it too hard. Danny he'll, Boyle he'll does mute, not do that. Mute thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. Whereas Danny Boyle is very interested in artifice mm-hmm. and actually often presents things. Um, you know, uh, there's something he does in, in other movies, um, like with 127 hours and the video camera and those flashbacks, like yeah. he'll present the bigger moments in sort of, shittier quality yeah. like reproductions do you know what i mean like yeah. like uh, you know the, this big moment in steve jobs um that for that for that it's it's during a, like a dry run of the presentation near the end and for the big moment he doesn't cut to a close-up of michael fassbender he cuts to the wide shot so you can see the um whatever you call the the display you know yeah. when you're sitting for far back in a like an auditorium for a presentation and you're looking right. at the screens not at the person he cuts back to show it on that because that's it's an it's an interesting choice i, I think he makes that um is echoed in other parts of his career where he, he's, yeah. he's chosen to so somehow uh there's more texture i think to him to to things that are that have um uh, a couple layers of distance and reproduction or artifice uh, between them. Um, it, 
and then you see a lot of that. There's there's a lot of stuff I, I didn't know about. Uh, so I did know about the structural. Uh, right. I guess I was going to say gimmick. It's not. I mean, it, and it is. Um, but it works. The 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 act, three act structure. Yeah. What I didn't know about was the film stock structure. Yeah. That it's sixteen thirty five and then high def or whatever, like mm-hmm. you know I don't know two K or I don't know whatever you shot in. Uh, that each one is in a different film stock. That's a very Danny Boyle type thing move to make. Yes, it is. Um, there are uh, there are parts when uh, I don't know what you call it. Like certain things bleed into the reality of the movie. Like there's just mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to give it away for people because it's fun when it happens. But there's a scene taking place within the reality of the movie, but then on the wall behind him, yeah. there's something that is clearly not actually there. Yeah, um, I really like that sort of thing. It, it gives. I think Danny Boyle is not someone that I would have thought of as a great match for Aaron Sorkin, but in terms of uh, energy and momentum and cadence, I think actually fits it really well. He's he's a very energetic filmmaker, and yeah, it's because it, I was thinking that like if let's say they let's say we swapped screenplays for this in Social Network, I think David Fincher would mute things way too much for a movie about Steve Jobs who's a, okay. a big picture thinker and and speaks in very, you know, over the top, very uh profound and maybe even a little bit uh, grandiose ways. And so if you played that down, it would it would be wrong. You need a director who who's willing to let the tone of the character uh kind of guide him. So, yeah, I feel like it was a good choice. And that's and I did not as I've said before, like I had no expectation yeah. of the movie being good really at all so uh, i'm glad you yeah. liked it uh real quick speaking of quips this is one that's in the trailer which i only learned after the fact okay. because i uh waited till after the fact to watch the watch the trailer but uh michael stolberg is saying he can't do something in the time allotted and uh uh steve Jobs says it's not seconds you had three weeks the world was created in a third that time and michael stolberg <laughs> says one of these days you have to tell us all how you did it yeah and <laughs> he delivers it. that line really well yeah and yeah. i like kate winslet's a little like uh barely perceptible reaction. If you're yeah. not even looking at her, you wouldn't notice that she yeah. reacts, but yeah. she, uh, she breaks a little bit and not the actress, but the character yeah. uh, breaks up a little bit. Yeah. I like that. Uh, what's next for you? Next for me, uh, that we also spoke about on, uh, comedy film. Nerds oh, here we go. Is, uh, Breck Eisner's the last witch hunter, a movie. I really don't feel like spending any time on, okay. but I saw it and you can hear us again. Yeah, check out check us out. I feel like we did, uh, had a good time on the yeah. comedy film nerds podcast, and you can hear us talk more about both those movies. There. Yeah, it was it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of fun. Not the movie, the podcast appearance. Um, yeah, Last Witch Hunter. It's just it's a very immemorable, immemorable. Yeah, unmemorable, unmemorable. I don't know. Whatever. Who gives forgettable? a shit? Forgettable. <laughs> Let's go with that. It's a very forgettable movie. Um, but if you actually think about like what the story is and the world presented, it's not, un- it wouldn't, it's not unsalvageable. They needed somebody other than Vin Diesel. Um, and I think they needed to make the script a little bit less quippy. The quips seem like uh, a very desperate screenwriter trying to uh, lighten his script up a little bit. But um or they make the quips work better. I don't know. They, or there's make the whole movie better, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but it's, uh, but there are, there are parts of the mythology that I thought were interesting. Um, Oh, and then there's uh, an actress who she tries her best, but I feel bad because all I see is British Emma Stone. Like she just, her, her mannerisms seem so, uh, gosh, you know, I don't remember, but, uh, 
and it's not that she's bad. It's just that like her mannerisms are so close to Emma Stone. I find myself wondering if the director is just like, I need, I want Emma Stone. And it's like, well, we can't get Emma Stone. It's like, well, get me her uh, uh, British non-union, non-union equivalent, as right. uh, Mr. Burns would say. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was, uh, and I feel bad saying speaking ill of her. Uh, you know, it's not her fault that she reminds me of a different actress, a uh, higher profile actress. Wait, is but, it Rose Leslie? Uh, maybe, yeah. That sounds right. Her? Uh, yeah, that's her. Oh, okay. See, you don't know this. Okay. She's famous. Oh, okay. But you don't watch Game of Thrones. I do not. Yes. She's, you've heard the phrase, you know nothing, Jon Snow? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's the one who said okay. that a billion times. And you know what? And I could see, like, uh, maybe she works better with an older cadence than a modern cadence. Hmm. Um, so, because I, I can definitely see her not coming across like I'm a stone at all on something like Game of Thrones because her character's not like that. But anyway... But yeah, I saw the movie solely so that I could talk about it on Don't do it. It's going to get loud. I can go to Okay, while you're talking, I can go turn the air off if you want. Um uh yeah, what are you going to turn the air? Okay. It is like crazy cold in here, right? Okay. Uh I mean, I, I rolled, I took my sleeves down. And my sleeves are down too, but I feel like I'm having trouble like moving my finger. I feel like I need mittens. Okay. All right. Well, right? Then, so I'll just say last, uh, witch hunter, not very good, obviously. Uh, and it's just one of those movies that I find myself wondering like, man, they put a lot of money and time into this movie for just nothing, just a big nothing. I forgot at the moment, the minute it was out of the minute I was out of the theater and maybe even a little bit before that I'm flashing back to our, um, our, uh, conversation about this on comedy film nerds. And, uh, there were more reasons suggested perhaps for, for why the last witch hunter was made, uh, that you should definitely, I know I feel like I'm plugging the, uh, the show a billion times here, but, uh, I really uh, do think that, uh, our, our appearance on comedy film nerds was a good time. Let's move on. Uh, my next movie, Tyler. This is now. It's going to be a little bit more available than this. But go, you remember a few years ago? Okay. This is back at our old studio. Uh, oh. Meaning your old apartment. Yeah. Uh, I was obsessed and uh, wouldn't stop promoting a movie called White Tiger. That's right. Yes. Ghost have, Tank. Ghost Tank. Yeah. I have found this year's white what might be this year's white tiger for me. Okay. Even though again, white tiger like never got theatrical distribution officially in the U S um, is now available on iTunes and people should check it out. Mm-hmm. But this, this one does have a release date next February, but I got a sort of, they did a sort of long lead press screening because it's also playing AFI fest oh, in, okay. in a couple weeks. Um, it's directed by a man named, I think, Ciro Guerra. I'm not sure if that's okay. how you say it. Uh, it's a Colombian film called Embrace of the Serpent. Okay, yes. I, when I saw your review pop up on the website, I was like, what the hell is that? You mean... Or, or maybe I'm thinking of a different thing. Another another uh, delightful title, I think. Was that, is that the Russian woodpecker? That's it, we'll yes. That I'm, I'm, I get yeah. woodpeckers and serpents mixed up, which has led that's to weird. a lot of problems in the um, tile house. No, Embrace of the Serpent is uh, I described it on Twitter and I still like you ever have a thought and then late, like you lean back and you're like, that was right. I was like right on. Like I, I described yes. it sort of impulsively, but I really think this is a really good description. Uh, it's dead man meets apocalypse now in the Amazon. 
Okay, did you tweet something? Yeah, I, okay, I, I maybe that's... Ju- I literally just said that I tweeted. Yeah, sorry, This I is forgot. what it's like to be you when yeah. I don't listen to what you you're saying. You know what, honestly, like, <laughs> getting up and, t- and turning the air off, like, threw me okay. mentally. I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, basically, the movie takes place. It has two two stories that are that it cuts back and forth between one takes place in 1909 and one takes place roughly 40 years later we're never given okay. the actual date later uh and both involve um like white western scientists um coming to the amazon in mm-hmm. 1909 it's a german who's there to study the tribes and in uh the 1940s it's an american who's uh there to study plants okay and they're both headed up the same river to the same place and they both have who is our protagonist uh our protagonist this is the you know the movie that we're the protagonist this is not the noble savage type of movie because oh, the protagonist is a tribesman named karamakate uh, and he is played by two different actors because it's 40 years right. in between, but he is the main character. Okay. Uh, and so it's sort of, it's a very episodic movie, but it also has the fun of like revisiting the episodes. Like you'll see in the 1909 one, they visit a missionary. And then in the 1940 40s version, they visit the same missionary and it's in a very different state of repair and yeah. occupied by very different people. And so it has that sort of uh, interest to it. Um, but it's also just, it's, it's shot in black and white it's beautiful it's weird um i say it's shot in black and white. it's black and white except for uh something near the end that i won't give away um the it, character wears this red coat <laughs> no it's uh it's psychedelic it uh is a it's it's a it's a dangerous and beautiful and mournful um and violent and nightmarish movie uh, it's all of these things. Wow. And it also, it, it sort of has this, um, it, it's, it's not just, it also has a, a, a thesis, I guess, which I, uh, I feel like if we had, I, I want to talk about this movie with Scott because, uh, I know he doesn't like when movies are very upfront about what their thesis is, mm-hmm. but it has a thesis about the, the basically that the point that it's making is that, colonialism was terrible for the native population, not because it was carried out with malice, even though it often was, Mm -hmm. but simply by its very fact of existence. There is no way because basically through the two different characters and also through the, um, couple of different, um, uh, missionaries, you, you, I think I said, you go to the same missionary two times as two very different people, um, through those. So through, through these four non native, or non-indigenous people, you see various different ways that colonialists can regard or treat or interact with natives. And even in the well-meaning ones, like the German guy, um, it, it's, it's detrimental just by their very fact of being there. That, that seems to be the point that it's making, but it's doing it in a very, um, uh, you know, atmospheric <laughs> and artful way. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not a lecture. It's not, uh, the inconvenient truth or anything like that. Did you ever see, oh, good. Uh, did you ever see at play in the fields of the Lord, the Hector Babanko? No. Film? Um, it's very interesting. I saw it young when I was young enough to like, that it sort of made a difference in how I approach my, uh, faith and how I communicate it. Uh-huh. Um, but it could be said about colon- colonialism or like a spread of religion or really whatever. Um, and it's about these, uh, it's an ensemble cast and, 
I I don't. I wish I remember what region it takes place. I think I think it's just general, like somewhere in South America. You know, many years ago, and you have these missionaries that go to like help out these tribes and you know spread the gospel and that sort of thing. One of them is very sincere, tries to be as loving as he can. The other is kind of a charlatan and mm-hmm. kind of a fraud. Uh, what the movie makes the argument. Uh, the, the argument that the movie makes winds up being, but doesn't necessarily spell it out completely. Um, it's a little heavy handed at times, but is that uh, these men do the same amount of damage. Right. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, we're told to believe that no, 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 sincere. They, this guy's sincere. So it'll be fine. It's like, no, 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 just what they're doing is inherently invasive Yeah, and they're hurting someone. It doesn't matter if they mean well. Yeah. So I thought that was always very interesting. Uh, yeah. And that seems to be, uh, just a part of what Embrace of the Serpent is about. Really, it's more about uh, more um, ethereal, metaphysical concerns mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that, um, like I said, it gets psychedelic, so it has this sort of idea that, because it's like these, it's a it's a fictionalized movie, Embrace of the Serpent, but it's, it's actually based on the uh, diaries of two mm-hmm. different scientists Um uh, that traveled uh, in this place at this time. And there really are, you know, it's not just like there are like, like tribes of the Amazon is like, it was one culture. There are, there were countless, I mean, I don't know, countless, I guess technically there was a finite number, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, but there are literally, there are cultures that there is almost no record of anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the movie is definitely mournful about that, but also, like I said, get metaphysical, gets metaphysical about the idea that these people, uh, and the forest, are are one in that you know that uh the the trees and the water and the fish and the snakes and the jaguars and mm-hmm. the leaves everything is all part of the same uh thing but again i, I don't want to make it sound like it's like new agey or hippie-ish because this is David, a, i saw the lion king yeah, all no, right it's I not, get it. this and it's not and it's not tree of life either as much as i love tree of life's philosophy mm-hmm. because this is also a movie that says that uh yes everything is everything is part of the same thing, but that thing can be just as, uh, vicious and, uh, frightful and damaging as it can be rewarding. And that nature is, uh, a really, really dangerous place. <laughs> so that's embrace of the serpent. Uh, you will probably hear me talk more about it in the months to come, uh, because it is a fantastic movie. So, uh, sorry, I'm getting a, a text from one of our guests, uh, or rather, uh, uh, sorry, not a guest for this. No, we don't have guests for this. Right. Um, this is just you and me, but uh, it's a text that I got uh, 20 minutes ago and didn't notice. And that's going to be a problem probably. So anyway, should sorry. we pause here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think we're good. All right. I will um, trust you. So, uh, yeah. Um, the next movie I saw, I saw this afternoon. Um, okay. it is not a movie that anybody cares about at all including me uh i wasn't that interested but i was curious and it was playing at a theater i'd never been to before so i thought like oh i'll do okay. i'll try to guess which theater wait no this is a new release movie? yes newish okay oh the, it's in the cheap theater uh, the, the second run theater kind not that one. Oh, okay okay is this a children's movie kind of it's kind of a children's movie yeah but it could be our, I, i'd say yes 
Um, Gem and the Holograms. That, well, no. What? It does seem like it should have premiered at the Cheap Theater, but no. Oh, okay. What? What is it? I saw Pan today. Oh, I, I can see you being interested in seeing that. I know you're a fan of the source material, right? I very much am. Um, the thing that, and I like Joe Wright, and I like his visuals, and the thing that got me... The thing that frustrated me about the the project in general uh, stuck around, by the way, throughout the entire film, which was it's just like, you know, you have a really interesting vision of Neverland and of the mermaids and the the Indians and the crocodile. And just like it looks really interesting and beautiful. But um, just tell the story of Peter Pan. I don't know what it is about. Peter Pan, I guess because like the boy who never grows up. So someone, so Steven Spielberg says, what if he did? And then, Oh, it's the boy who never grew up, uh, and has always been, and you know, is now synonymous with Neverland. Yes. But how did he get there? Like, it's just, just tell the fucking story, you know, like right. it's, that's why the, uh, that 2000, forgotten 2003, uh, what's his name? PJ, the director. And I the guy who made my, my best friend's wedding. Um, oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, and I, and I don't recall. His last name. Hogan? PJ Hogan? I think that might be it. Maybe but, um, Hogan? But uh, yeah, go watch that. Uh, listeners, if you haven't seen that, yeah. it's great. It's it's everything we're talking about as far as visually. And, you have yeah. a great Captain Hook with Jason Isaacs. We're not um, just saying that because there was an excellent AV Club article about this, which I retweeted uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. Um, we have been, we've been on the PJ Hogan, confirmed, uh, uh, Peter Pan train since it, since it came out. I think... I th- did you see it in the theater? I did. And I think you told me that it was good. And yeah. when it came out on DVD, I rented it and I was like, Tyler was right about that one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, so the thing that gets me is like, you have Hugh Jackman playing Blackbeard the pirate now in a performance that is over the top and crazy and vindictive and everything that you want in a performance of Captain Hook. <laughs> like you have... <laughs> You already have it there. It's yeah. right there waiting for you to do the right thing, <laughs> but you're not. And it's just, it's, it's so ridiculous. The, and, and also the captain hook they do have, sorry, he's not a captain yet, but the James hook they do have is Garrett Hedlund doing a Daniel Plainview esque type of character and okay. a way of speaking that is at times off putting and obviously affected, but they are, fast friends he and peter like they're close 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 friends yeah they save each other's lives everything's great and then and part of me's like how on earth are we going to get to a point where peter cuts off that guy's hand throws it to a crocodile thus basically condemning him to a life of paranoia and impending death how are we ever going to get there oh here's how we get there Oh, good God. Um, movie basically over. Uh, they're all flying off in a flying uh, pirate ship. The pirate ships fly. It's actually a really neat visual. I've, but, um, yeah, I've heard about that. So they're flying off into space. We don't see them like we see it getting further and further into space. Second star to the right. And you hear uh, Peter say like, we'll always be friends, won't we, James? And then he's, he goes, of course we will. Uh, that's, I'm doing more of a Peter Falk. I'm sorry. But it's like, of course we will. What could go wrong? Directed by Joe Wright. And it's like, what could go wrong? I guess Peter Pan could, for some reason, cut off your fucking hand. Like, it's just... So we'll just have to wait for the sequel. Ugh. Pan 2. Pan 2. Malicious little bastard. <laughs> like, it just... It's so frustrating that, like, 
I understand. Like, if you want to do an origin story, that's fine. But you still, I feel like you still have an obligation to arrive, especially if you're going to exploit like the the images we have of the world. You know, if you're going to use the mermaids, if you're going to use the crocodile and stuff like that, you have an obligation to at least get us where you where we know we need to be. And they don't do that at all. And I don't understand. You have Hugh Jackman right there, ready to play in my what is in my opinion. I remember there's a question I used to ask people a long time ago, like top five fictional characters of all time in any, or at least as far as your favorite. And Captain Hook has always been one of my five favorites because of what he represents and because of the malleability of the character. He can be very vindictive, but he can also be very melancholy and incredibly entertaining. I've seen various representations of the character and they're always interesting but that's not what they're going to do here. Uh, they still represent him, but not at all in the way that uh, makes him interesting. Oh. So it's uh, very it's gorgeous. The film's gorgeous. Um, and the theater, by the way, is that one that hidden one by Best Buy on Van Nuys. Oh, right. The one that I am convinced is closed. <laughs> right. I, I, as I was walking up to it, I thought it might be closed. But I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. There's a 215 showing of Pan. Um, I was the only one in the theater, by the way. Oh, that's fun. Um, all right. Uh, last movie I saw there was Observe and Report. It's been nice. quite a while. <laughs> um, I actually have two more things because I forgot I have a rewatch. But uh, this one, this first one, won't take very long because uh, it's kind of frustrating because it's not as good as it could be. It's a documentary called The Russian Woodpecker. Oh and, yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the Russian woodpecker refers to a gigantic wall of radio tower or array of radio towers um in the ukraine that were it was operated by the soviets as an uh, what's called an over the horizon radar system uh because you know it's obviously difficult to shoot a signal over the horizon because of the curvature of the earth and everything right yeah. so they there were they invented or uh, i don't know if they invented it but they built these things uh, that would bounce off the ionosphere and uh, and it was essentially an early missile detection system mm-hmm. um, uh, apparently uh, we Americans had a similar uh, one uh, called the dew line but uh, this one was called its official name was a duga but it sent these signals that were so strong that occasionally out of nowhere all over the world radio radios would pick up this sound that was like a and it okay. sounded like a tapping. Oh, okay. And so it became known as a woodpecker. And then uh, people found, you know, they found out where it was coming from and they called it the Russian woodpecker. This movie is about a guy, an artist, a Ukrainian artist who um, is, has been uh, sick all his life uh, because he's, he's irradiated from having been near Chernobyl uh, mm-hmm. as a child. He was like a four year old child, I guess when I guess it would make him my age um, when Chernobyl happened. Uh, and he is a, an eccentric to say the least. Okay. Um, possibly has some uh, degree of paranoid schizophrenia. The movie doesn't address that, but it's not that hard a leap to make. Yeah. Uh, and he is convinced of this conspiracy that this this radio tower but is within it's like less than three kilometers from the Chernobyl plant mm-hmm. and is now shut down because it's part of the 30 mile exclusion zone that you can't go into um but i mean people do all the time but you're not supposed to go into because it's radiated he's convinced 
that the explosion uh, at Chernobyl was something that was done on purpose um, by the Soviet government, and it had something to do with covering up uh, something to do with the Duga, with the woodpecker. Hmm. And so the movie sort of tracks him as he um, uh, as he tracks down and interviews different uh, former officials who were related, you know, part of either the government or part of the who worked at Chernobyl or worked with the radio array and interviewing them. But the interviews are insane. Yeah. I shouldn't use that word glibly because he actually might be a little mentally ill. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the interviews are odd yeah. because he, uh, of his approach to them. Um, and then at the same time, it's it shot during the uh, early 2014, um, Ukrainian, you know, the Euro Maidan mm-hmm. uh, Ukrainian revolution. So that's also a backdrop to it. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on in, <laughs> yeah. in it. Um, it's definitely never boring. Uh, you get some amazing, like they go into the exclusion zone and shoot drone footage of the woodpecker itself. Hmm. Um, that's uh, really, really uh, stirring, uh, beautiful imagery. Uh, but it just, I think there's a disconnect between how Fedor, the main subject, feels about his conspiracy and how the filmmaker feels about it. And it's, uh, it doesn't seem to bridge that gap. It's sometimes the film, the film seems confused about how it feels about itself mm-hmm. and its subject matter. Okay. So, which um, I guess based on your description, I, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all of 80 minutes and it's never boring, okay. uh, but, uh, I, 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 I can't recommend it that strongly. Okay. Um, do we need to stop? You're giving me a look like we need to stop. No, uh, uh okay. we will need to stop soon, but not, we're not. Well, I only yet. have one more thing. Okay. Uh, unless you have some television. I don't have any. I have a little bit of television. Nothing. Not okay. Much. Um, uh, rewatch. I rewatched Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Oh, all right. Confirming that it is one of the best movies of the year. Okay. And I know, I feel like everyone likes it, but I do feel like it's gotten lost for having come out in March. You know, I, I, I don't know that it will make as many top 10 lists as it probably deserves at the end of the year. It's a, it's it, a beautiful, it possibly could make none, not because it's bad, but it's just, it's, well, it's I'm pretty just sure not it'll make at least one, at least one. Okay. Uh-huh. Fair enough. It's a beautiful movie. It's, it's gorgeous. Incredibly. And I don't just mean beautiful to look at it. Sentiments are, uh, are, are lovely and touching and it's so, it does think it, it so cares about its characters. It has this stock story that we know, mm-hmm. but it takes all its characters seriously, mm-hmm. not just Cinderella. You know, this is maybe the first telling of, or the first telling of Cinderella that I think has really made the prince a character. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, uh, he's a fantastic character. And there's a moment in the movie that I had forgotten when he's, he's this, like paragon of charming masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the dream guy um, for every woman in the in the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? And I, he is. I don't. I don't uh, refute that. But generally, when we see that sort of thing, we see them as those people as very gallant and right. abiding by certain old-fashioned ideas of masculinity. Yeah. The part when he's laying in bed with his dying father. Yeah. And he's essentially in the fetal position and the camera pulls like pulls up uh, and you see him all curled up on the bed, uh, holding the hand of his dying father is so not the view of that kind of character that we usually get in this sort of movie, but But it makes him, it makes him so much more appealing than just being the strong silent type. Yeah. 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 It, It winds up being that like, because I feel like so often in movies like that, whether even if you know, the old, the old Disney cartoons, like, 
you know, you watch them and you are rooting for everybody to get together because you know that's what you're supposed to be rooting for. In this one, I want them to get together. I want yeah. them to live happily ever after, and yeah. I don't resent it like I usually do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then... Um, there you uh, okay, um, we, we can wrap up in just one second. Uh, I love um, all the performances. Kate Blanchett is amazing, um, and uh, yeah, she's marvelous. And and even her her sort of uh, backstory um, when we finally learn, uh, we get a clue as to why she is the way she is is touching. Even though it doesn't forgive things. But speaking of forgiveness, what I want to say before we wrap up that I love about the movie is that there is when everything is said and done and thing and you know, spoilers, people, you know, Cinderella is living happily ever after or whatever. Mm-hmm. She has, makes no move. There's no sense of punishing her stepmother or stepsisters. In fact, the last thing she says in the movie is I forgive you. Yeah. And I feel like the movie has that in the hands of another director, not taking the material as seriously, that thing and, and the sort of repeated mantra of have courage and be kind could come across as platitudes. Yeah. But the movie means them so much that I find myself tearing up at just how earnest and positive the movie is. And it toys with that idea of like the best revenge is living well, uh-huh. but, but also this idea that there are some people, but Cinderella doesn't want revenge. No, no, right, right. Yeah. But what I mean to say is that like, also she doesn't want, like she doesn't want revenge but we ourselves, the viewers, we might want revenge, but it's the film is also saying just like these people are so miserable, like they're going to make themselves miserable. You can take see, comfort in that or you can take the high road like she is doing. But I don't even think it's that. I think it's the movie having the courage of its convictions, having uh, Cinderella's last mother's last words to her be have courage and be kind yeah. and then saying this is what this movie is about it's about that sentiment and we are and so I don't think there's any sort of winking like they're not going to be happy there's no there, it doesn't give us any of that pleasure of getting to see them or imagine them suffer it 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 really wants us to buy into the have courage and be yeah. kind uh mantra and that's i find that so touching and so important yeah and yet still cinematic that's the other thing yeah. like forgiveness it tends not to be the and self-sacrifice tends not to be the most cinematic thing we like revenge um but uh but it still winds up being very it's still very palatable in the yeah. film so all uh, right yeah uh no movie no tv uh, of note to speak of so let's just end it